Welcome to the Industry Insider, brought to you by PromoCoin. Each week, promotional product professionals Meg Erber, Jeff Franklin, and Stephen McFadden, along with special guests, will discuss industry news, trends, and events with a focus on educating the promotional products industry. The Industry Insider, the nerdy news you need to know. Welcome back to yet another exciting episode of the Industry Insider, your promotional products podcast where you get all the nerdy news you need to know about. My name is Jeff Franklin, National Accounts Manager with Headwear USA, and I'm joined today by three other lovely folks. But of course, before we get to them, we got to tell you about our fine sponsors today. I've got a little pop up here on the screen as well as my ad read. And this is for, uh, for ASI. That's our sponsors for today. Uh, so we're talking about ASI show in Chicago taking place July 25th through the 27th at McCormick Place North Building. Uh, don't miss your chance to spark conversations, discover new products, build your business, and have fun at the last large-scale trade show of the year. Highlights include a keynote speaker uh, on how to close more sales by improving your pitch, a panel of industry executives sharing how to navigate the current uh, promo marketplace, an exhibit hall filled with innovative product ideas, education sessions to help you grow your business, and opportunities to network, win prizes, and much more. So register now at ASIshow.com and uh, use promo code PC. Uh, so awesome. Meg, uh, how are you doing? I see you're still at the airport. This is a pre-recorded episode. Hopefully you haven't been there for a week. No, no, I haven't been here. Still waiting for my daughter to come through there. So um, Neil, if you see me leave for a split second, I am waiting for my daughter to walk through. She joined the Navy today and she leaves for boot camp. So I've been sitting at the airport all morning and I will be till seven o'clock at night working, hoping that I see her pass through before she gets on the airplane. They don't allow <laughs> parents at MEPS anymore. So you might, you might miss a little bit, but that's it. Or I might miss a little bit, but that's it. But yeah, otherwise still good. Like I was 20 minutes ago. <laughs> no worries. Stephen McFadden, how are you doing? What's going on? I just, uh, just was thinking about the illusion that we create when we change clothes. Um, but you know what? <laughs> yeah, normally, normally when we do that, we all sort of change clothes. But I knew Meg was at the airport, so I was like, screw it. I'm just going to change clothes. I was like, we, you know what? I don't think there's any illusion with this one. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> well, the illusion no. is that uh, these episodes are two weeks apart. So, um, true. You know, yeah, if you, didn't, if you didn't catch the last episode, go back uh, two weeks, May 31st, and uh, and check it out. Um, yeah. So, and Jeff, how are you before you forget yourself? I'm, I'm doing all right, man. Thank you very much. We are joined today by a very special guest, uh, Neil Tomney with uh, Collegiate Pride up in State College, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and, that's uh, correct. So very excited to have you on. We're going to talk about how to sell into the Collegiate Marketplace today. Uh, but before we get into the episode, we like to give our special guest a good three to four minutes to sort of introduce yourself and maybe tell us how you got started in the promotional products industry and what the hell you've been up to since. So, Neil, take it away, man. Um, yeah, so uh, I work for Collegiate Pride now, and mainly it's where Penn State is, University Park, also known as State College, Pennsylvania. Um, before that, I was actually started out as a buyer uh, for a local brewery and um, doing their merchandise and marketing. And that's what kind of got me into the industry, honestly, is because I started doing all the buying for them, buying all their promotional items and all that kind of stuff. And then I was approached um, by the manager here at the time, and um, she asked me to come on board because she thought I'd be good at, you know, selling on the other side of the industry. That's so I've awesome. been here ever since. So was that Debbie? Yeah, that was Debbie. 
So Debbie is the kind of woman that you just, you fall in love with because I, I just love her. So I came out there a couple of times and the last time I came out right before she retired, she was like, you're staying at my house. So I stayed there. She had the whole group over. We had pizza and wine and we were literally just having a good old party at her house. But yeah, I miss her. I miss her. Have you talked yeah. to her lately? Yeah, she's doing really well. Aww, she just, uh, I think she just got back from Italy. So she's doing her traveling thing and yeah. Of course. Loved so, it. Good, 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 good. I think it's a really interesting perspective to come into the uh, industry from like that end buyer's perspective. Like, did you, once you got into the, involved in the industry, did you realize it is what it is like beforehand? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, I guess I was kind of naive um, about that, but once I got in and like realized that I was dealing with other people that used to be me, I kind of, I think it was probably the best way for me to enter the industry is coming from an end user's perspective, because the questions that people first asked me when I started doing that, like, do you have AI files and are you sending vector art? Like, I'm like, what are you talking about? You yeah. know, way back in the day. But so being in their shoes kind of like almost prepared me to be in the role that I am now, because they're asking me all the same questions that I asked 12 years ago. Oh, yeah. 100%. Well, I, I like I said, I think it's an interesting perspective to come from. And I'm sure you're able to use that a lot when you're going into sales meetings and, and being able to potentially close the sale or knowing what's in the marketplace from that buyer's perspective to really, uh, you know, create a, a competitive niche for yourself. Um, so why don't we start with like an overview of like the collegiate market? Um, you know, is it is it all like, you know, division one schools or, you know, what kind of spend is there out there? I mean, what, what can you give us as far as maybe some stats or something? Um, well, we've mainly focused on colleges inside Pennsylvania. We don't really branch out too much uh, currently, um, but we do probably five, seven different colleges and their bookstores um, from our location. And we also have a retail division where we sell Penn State merchandise locally here. Oh, so nice. I, I see it from both sides, you know. How, um, I mean, are the, out of the universities that you're working with, are they all licensed or do you, are you able to sell without? Cause I know that that's been a big thing over the last decade or so. Like licensing yeah. has just sort of taken over everything, especially with the bookstores. Like if it's yeah. not Barnes and Noble, it's licensed, you know? Yeah. Licensing is a big issue right now. I'm not going to lie. Um, some are smaller schools and they don't really have, they have a marketing department, but they don't really have a licensing department per se. But with Penn State, they're very restrictive. So that definitely plays a huge part in not only what I can sell my clients, but also what we can sell at a retail level as well. So I can speak a little to the kind of the getting into the collegiate side as well. Um, and I'm sure Neil can can back me up or provide some insight if I if I go off track. But when we when you first apply for licensing, there's a couple of different levels to it. There's um, not for resale purchasing license so you could sell to like departments um you know whether it be activities groups or education groups but they're not going to be for resale a lot of universities still require some sort of a license for that uh, and then there's local licensees which gives you permission for you to if you get it to then branch out in your state so i'm assuming since you're doing multiple in pennsylvania it's very similar to how it was here in north carolina when we got our our uh, license 
for the North Carolina uh, sales, you still have to select, do we do warehouse? Do we do bookstore? Do we do online retail? Each of those are different channels that you can sell into. Um, but you have to apply for each one of those and then each school independently and then each product category and then product specific. So it's, it's a lot when you go into it. Um, and they even have you send samples, you know, to Atlanta um, where IMG CLC is and you're sending pieces like, I want to sell this. Okay. You have permission now to sell it. And then you go back and it's like, now do you want to buy it? You know? So it's a very time consuming, uh, lengthy process, but it can be very, very good for business for sure. Yeah. It can also draw out a sale, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. when you're, when you're talking about like, even like random items, like, I don't know, cell phone wallets or drinkware, they want you to send each individual piece to get yeah. to, to Georgia, you know? And it's like, you never get that sample back. It's like, I hope no. they're donating them or something, but it's like so weird that you'd have to send like a Gildan tea. If you want to send sell Gildan, you send a next level tea you send all these things and they just go into an abyss. I feel like. I feel like licensing is a lot of, is, is a big reason why a lot of people would either avoid going into the collegiate marketplace or, um, or, or are a little bit more reluctant, you know, to, to enter it. Are there still universities out there that aren't going through the licensing process? And even if there are universities that are doing the license, is there, is there another way maybe to sell into the university without getting the license? Like I know Steven, you'd mentioned the not for resale, uh, but I don't, I don't remember back in like 2008, 2009, I don't remember having to do that with some of the universities around here. So, I mean, from my perspective, all division one, as far as I'm aware of, are either LRG or, or, or CLC, um, licensed. Um, we've, we did branch out at one point when we were focusing on some of that, which we, we don't anymore, primarily for reasons you mentioned earlier, where Barnes and Nobles actually came in and took over a lot of the, the store accounts. We still keep our licenses for local sales, not for resale, but not, you know, at, at the tune it was when we were, you know, had hundred SKUs in a bookstore. Right. Um, but when we have worked with like community colleges, some of those were not, you know, they don't have any licensing. Some private schools were not as well. Um, it really just depends on the, you know, case by case, university by university. I don't know that it's a clean line between, you know, if division two doesn't, I think there's some that do, you know, so it just, it really just depends on the, the university itself. But as far as my knowledge, I think all division ones are one of those two licenses. Yeah. I can almost guarantee you all big one. I think so too. Yeah. I would even go as far as to say in the smaller schools. So when my daughter went to go play uh, beach volleyball for that really small college mm. out in North Carolina, I don't know what it's like NCI. I don't know what it was called. Yeah. Anyway, they were all like, everything had to be licensed. I like did a couple things for the coaches, you know, but I'm like, don't, don't tell them where you got them. I think, um, Niels, I have a question for you because the other two kind of were already, uh, questions I had were already, um, asked. Uh, so as a promo company specializing in, in Penn state, what are some of the key promotional products or strategies that really resonate with the Penn state community? Uh, um, they, they kind of bounce all over the place really. The thing that really matters the most is your end user and the audience. So, you know, obviously Penn State was founded as an agricultural school. So we have a lot of ag programs. So there's there's like that section where if you know that you're targeting them, they're going to want like name brand and like, you know, Carhartt or something that resonates with them. 
but then you go over to the business school and they're not going to want the same products. So you really have to know trends within the university and also who targeting the end user. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a weird market, you know, and then at our, at our retail level, you know, the girls are buying toddler t-shirts to shred up to go to the tailgates and they're wearing them as bandos. So like, going to the tailgates and walking around and seeing and going on campus and seeing the fashion like the oversized stuff and all that you know the trends like i get i get the president of the business school all the way down to the 20 20 member clubs you know and then i have another aspect where there's a a dance marathon every year called thon and it's for um childhood cancer and so I'm a big, um, I'm one of the main salespeople for that, for their, for what they sell. So I have a whole nother section of people that are doing this as like a fundraising effort for cancer. So like, I don't know, there's a lot of different avenues that I go down pretty much every day, but really targeting what they're looking for is the hardest aspect of my job. I bet. Is there any success stories that you could share with us of the promotional product or promotional campaigns that you've done that were particularly effective in reaching the, the market there? Hmm. Um, <laughs> well, not that I can really think of, like off the top of my head, but um, it's, well, it's like there. About the, thong, the thought. I was... You're muted, Meg. <laughs> ah! Damn it. It sounded like you were bleeping yourself when you were coming to... <laughs> No, yeah. I was actually going to ask, can you talk to the thon, the thon, thon, thon? The yeah, so thing? <laughs> they're uh, like a, um, it started with all the fraternities and sororities, and they do this 48 hours of dance to cure childhood cancer, or that's their goal. And they raise all this money every year, every February. I'm just like completely busy. Like, don't even bother me. I've got so many orders that to process, like it's crazy, but uh, not only do they all want their own individual merchandise, but then there's also like the group merchandise that just says Dawn and all that stuff. So that's definitely a different audience. And there's also alumni groups that are involved with that. So once you're like a Penn Stater or involved with Thon, I feel like you're always going to be involved with it. So that's like a big, it's a big thing here in February for sure. Yeah. The collegiate marketplace is definitely a huge beast. Um, I know a lot of people get hung up and just going after like the bookstore business, but I really feel like there's so much more business outside of the yeah. bookstore, like the, the, you know, orientation for instance, or undergraduate marketing and, you know, these departments that, you know, are seeing, you know, 20 and 30,000 piece orders come through for, you know, the new students that are coming in or commencement when you're, you know, students are graduating. Um, there's so many different, uh, you know, ways to get into the university without just going through the bookstore. And that's kind of why I asked or, or was, you know, alluding to the licensing and how that works with, uh, you know, the, the not for resale stuff. Because a lot of times when I was working with some of those other departments, they would, they'd didn't actually require you to be licensed and it was a huge uh, blessing because they were actually better orders. Yeah. And Penn State, one of the, go ahead. Go ahead, Neil. Penn State definitely wants you to be licensed. Like you have to be on their licensed vendor list and you have to be, I have all your ducks in a row for sure. Um, 
you don't want to get on it in, that's for sure. Yeah, but if you're like if you're working with like an Edinburgh or a Slippery Rock or something like that, I mean they might they might be a little different. I'm not sure, right? Yeah, Slippery Rock and Edinburgh are definitely a little bit different. Um, maybe that's just because like Penn State's in like the Big Ten or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, more recognition, more controversy, more you know, more problems, and and a lot of people trying to do bootleg stuff even locally. So they have a, a strict leash on what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. Um, yeah. One of the challenges, Jeff, that we, we saw, and it's, it's not really so much a challenge, just something to educate people on is especially if they're going after bookstore business is a lot of our suppliers have uh, in their contracts, the ability for them to have direct sale into those bookstores. So specific brands, um, you know, obviously I'm not going to go into super specifics, but those markets a lot of times are carved out for direct sale with some of the supplier bases and it's, it's, it's in your contract. Like we, if you wanted to look into it, it's nothing that they're being deceptive about, but it's, it's, you know, usually golf stores and bookstores uh, for collegiate, a lot of them already have partnerships and licenses into those. Um, so you end up <laughs> kind of crossing paths and you're like, oops, okay. All right. I'll back off here. You back off here. And you know, if you can, you really get into the system uh, you find that there's ways to you can both work together on you know side by side on maybe different projects, but it is a more competitive space for sure. So yeah. those other markets, as you mentioned, those those aren't protected and those are kind of more free game for the promotional world. And I would say quite possibly more you know you can be more successful in this because there is so many more different departments and so much more branding and you know so many more students. Uh, but there's big business all over collegiate for sure. Yeah. So is it worth it? Like, let's say, let's say you're, you know, got one big school that's local to you and you're going to go after them. I mean, is it worth it trying to go after the licensing with all the royalties and the upfront costs or, uh, you know, buying the, the, uh, the labels or the stickers and all that stuff, the hang tags, all that good stuff. I mean, there's, there's a lot of upfront costs and then the royalties and figuring all that out. Um, is it worth going after it? Do you think Neil, like, I mean, especially if it's just like one school that you're going after, or do you need to really be going after multiple schools to make the whole licensing thing worth it? Um, I think it is worth it. I just think you have to really, uh, if you're going to pay for the license and you're going to go through that whole process, which is not e the easiest process to go through, then I think that you really should focus and really concentrate on that one university that you applied for. Um, because reporting the royalty and also you have to have almost like a dedicated employee. It's complicated. Um, after you get through CLC and that whole licensing uh, system, you have to have this UPI number to submit all your royalties. There's a lot of tracking involved with that. So um, it's definitely worth it. Sometimes it's a headache, but um, you really need to focus on after you get the licensing agreement to keep going after it. Don't get discouraged because they denied your design. They, de they deny them every day, all day long. They're, you know, it's just what happens. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah. they're definitely there to get in the way. Yeah. yeah. Neil, would you say that you sell more promo products or more apparel to the collegiate market? What do you, what are they buying more of? I would say it's like, we call them here like seasons. It's not spring, fall, winter for us. It's 
it's incoming students it's you know august you know so my my like timeline of the year is like completely different um so i would say at different times of the years like when conference season is coming up i'm selling more promo items more cinch bags more water bottles like you know what they're going to be asking for at that time of the year but when the when the school year first starts out they all want their merch they all want their hoodies their club hoodies all their specific like you know college of engineering sweatshirts and and the school of law quarter zips like you know that these orders are coming because they're every year um and so you know like we just got through graduation season where it's like awards 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 you know lion statues it and so it's it's more like seasons of selling not like i mean anybody can ask for anything at any time of the year but you know like when they're gonna when the phone rings at like the beginning of may okay what do you need for graduation you need embroidery on soles you need you need acrylic awards you need you know it's just what it's what's going on It, it has everything to do with the university schedule so if you're gonna go after a university then you need to print out their schedule and plan yours your your promotions two weeks a month in advance to get i was i was gonna say that's one one of my favorite things about selling into the college marketplace when i was a distributor was the fact that it's very cyclical everything's annual everything happens every year you know if that event happened last year at around that time it's going to happen around the same time every year uh so it makes it really easy to sort of plan your calendar like you just alluded to uh on a 365 basis and sort of planning out you know so like if you're if it's you know and and right now i think this is a very a very opportune time to talk about selling into the college marketplace because i'm sure you're getting tons of calls for use it or lose it funds you know because colleges work on a budget and if they've got money left in the budget they're trying to spend it before the end of the year because if they don't if they don't spend it they lose it and then their budgets next year probably go down because they didn't use all of their budget for this year um you know so Look, uh, May and June are good times for colleges. Uh, and then, of course, July 1, they get their new budget. So that's always a good time as well. Uh, typically, it takes them a little bit of time to, to get those funds allotted and allocated. And, you know, so you're usually looking at orders more in like August uh, time frame for, for the new budget. But um, definitely a good time to be talking about the college marketplace. Yeah, all their budgets are about to expire. So they, they run, you know, July 1st and they get their new budget. So they're they're trying to buy right now, and it's a good time because the students are gone now. So like I have more time to devote to the staff members, and it all just kind of all the puzzle pieces just kind of fit together. You know what I mean? When the students leave, the staff go more at like planning and what they're going to do to use their budget, and then get ready for the next year. So a lot of staff orders are coming in over the summer. They're like people say, "Oh, you should be dead. You're dead now, right?" Like. I'm like, no, they have summer camps all summer long. I'm doing science camps. I'm doing computer science camps. I, you know, th- there's stuff at the university going on 365 days a year. It's just, you're not thinking about it. You think academic school year, you think fall, you know, you're going to get crushed. Yeah, we do, but it's not, it's consistent, you know, it's just different orders. Yeah. Meg, were you going to go into something there? I was, but then they were talking over the, the loudspeaker. Um, being in the collegiate market um, and, and selling to that you know demographic, how much does social media play into your sales and, and the whole facade that's going on? Like, How much do you guys do with your social media for Penn State or towards Penn State? 
Uh, we've tried a bunch of different strategies, honestly, and direct email marketing to some of the staff members is probably the most effective. The students really aren't following our Facebook page. I mean, some of them are that interact with us all the time, like all the club presidents and stuff like that. But we're not on TikTok. I'm not doing, I don't have time for like TikTok trends and dances and stuff in like, you know, next level T or whatever. What? Well, you you want to come with me? You want to do some of these? Yes. When I, somebody <laughs> come out, we'll do some TikToks. <laughs> yeah, you can do some, uh, uh, what do you do? Taekwondo? No. no Jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu, yeah. Careful so what you, you can, ask for, Neil, because yeah, okay. she'll do it. And, and she, she tends to go viral. <laughs> well, hey, maybe that's a good Please, thing. Please, maybe involved. You never know. I think we should make this happen because I, I think I want to see this. I think TikTok needs this. I think TikTok hey, needs uh, this as well. <laughs> quick question for you, Neil, before we wrap up here. In the Ad Impressions study, they did a, um, you know, they looked at the top five most influential products among consumers 18 to 24, which is like smack in that college student market. The top products were outerwear in one, health and safety two, bags three, performance wear four, and umbrellas five. How do you think that that kind of lines up with what you're seeing? Because I thought those were kind of interesting for the age bracket. Some of them I can see. Some of them I was like, huh. Yeah. Umbrellas. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, the, the umbrellas kind of threw me off a little bit. But honestly, like the number one for outerwear, I guess they're lumping in um, quarter zips, you know, crew neck sweatshirts. Yeah, please, quarter zips, jackets. Yeah. So yeah. with number one, that's that's that is number one hoodies crew neck sweatshirts full zipped fleeces quarter zips i mean that's their jam you know that's what yeah. the college kids they love and you know you have to remember back when you went to college like i i don't think i don't know if i have any pieces left from college but like but if you did, they would be the most amazing pieces you had, and they're probably outerwear. <laughs> and I still have my navy sweatshirts. My daughters both have. Sorry, you good? good. You had a phone call, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had a phone call. Sorry about that. Um, but when you get reminiscent about your college career and stuff, you know, you think back to like all those milestones, like, oh, that's the time I got my quarter zip. So like. Even though it's not, even though it's like a re repeat order for me, it's the most important part to that student, you know, to to rep their their group or their major. So, outerwear for sure, you know what I mean? Like that's a given. Um, umbrellas? Eh, I don't, I don't really see that. What was number two? Health and, Health safety. and safety. That was the one I was also a little confused about, but I don't know. Bags three makes sense to me. Yeah, and performance wear two. also kind of makes sense if you were to lump in all the shorts and leggings and things like Rex that as well. Yeah. Well, and I guess sports maybe wear. when they when they also talk about the collegiate market, they're also talking about the sports teams. So performance wear, I could definitely see that. You know, all we're a Nike sponsored school, so like I don't get a lot of those orders because they're bringing me provided Correct. garments, but um, they're all about the performance wear because they see all the athletes wear it. So anything that like that has Penn State football on it or that the athletes are wearing, they want for sure. Um, their budget, you know, that also plays places. <laughs> they have the Nike budget, but the Team Three Six Five, or no, the what is it? The Nike, you know, wants, but the Team Three Six Five budget. So yeah, totally get that. Yeah. Totally get that. But I, I, you know, I also, yeah. the, the sweatshirts and the outerwear, and, and that is something they keep year after year. Before, when you had 
stepped out for a second to take that call. <laughs> my, um, I was saying my, both of my daughters have um, my Navy sweatshirts. And when I just got a text message, she is coming. So this, the Navy sweatshirt that she has was from when I was in boot camp. And that was over 20 years ago, like That's 1998. Cool. Yeah. So I think it's really neat. It's the same. It's literally my hoodie. So it's lasted over 20 years. That's I'm awesome. <laughs> so I do have uh, one question because I know I'm I'm very familiar with uh, with Camex and the Tailgate Show, which you know I, I there I wasn't familiar with them before I was a supplier and was actually asked to go exhibit with a distributor that was selling into the college marketplace. Do you guys participate in in, in any of those? And you know have have you noticed things going from Camex to the trade uh, to the tailgating show, and are they worth doing? Um, we don't really participate. I'm going to be completely honest. Um, I don't know. No, no comment. <laughs> All right. We, we have, a they have a local, uh, I know there's like local collegiate shows that we did one time. Um, it was like Camex light, I guess you could say it was more for North Carolina based schools to all see the, um, yeah, they have regional ones. Yeah, exactly. And so we did one of those ones cause I was just curious. I'm like, is this going to be beneficial? I mean, it wasn't because my license was only, only went to so many colleges, right? So I've got a couple hundred universities there. They're like, yeah, this is cool. Can you sell it to us? And I'm like, maybe in a month or two, <laughs> you know, like if there's interest. So it was, it's like reverse selling when you do that, as opposed to just spending more time with your current customers, showing them those things. And I, I didn't see the value um, to, to do it. Now, there were some products and programs had we just dove into it further. I'm sure, Neil, if you have like a winner, you know, and you wanted to go after certain places, that might make sense to do. But even if you get larger than that, for for us, we would feel like a fish out of water because we can only deal with like 10 people in the room. You know, it's like, what, what good is it to talk to a thousand of us if we would need a different license for, for California based school and we can only settle these amounts. So, um, that's yeah, yeah. I think ahead. that's what boils down to it for us. Uh, we've been in business for a long time, so we have a lot of history with some of the core people and the core universities that we work with. So I, I don't, we don't really go to those kind of shows, but mm. because they're coming to us, my time in yeah. the office is way more important than trying to get somebody that I might not even be able to sell to in the end. You know. Yeah, so I guess it just depends on the number of schools you're selling into and, and sort exactly. of what the focus is. Yeah. Um, I, I will say, I, I feel like the college market is one of those markets where uh, the, the lines get a little bit blurry in our industry. Because uh, I know that there's, and Stephen, you might have been alluding to this earlier, but uh, I will say I was kind of uh, shocked and appalled uh, at my first time at a Camex show. Uh, again, I was there uh, with a distributor selling as the distributor. And uh, just to get to walk the show floor to see how many suppliers that are, you know, at a PPAI Expo or an ASI Chicago, uh, you know, are actually on that floor exhibiting directly to the college marketplace. I was very, very surprised to see that. Hmm. And um, not to make uh, make the gray areas grayer, but I have a pretty strong opinion when on uh, suppliers that offer products that they have licenses for. So like there is a big string of that for several years in a row. I haven't seen very much of it as of late, but where they will already have 
all of your university logos as options for artwork because they're licensed for it. And for me as a distributor, I'm like, that was our competitive advantage. We went through the trouble to get the license. We paid all the stuff. We did all this so we can do the artwork, you know, for the universities. And how is it that you have these licenses that now gives 30,000 people the ability to sell into my school? Right. So it's, um, it's, it's a very kind of gray area where it's like, Oh, that's helpful, you know, for someone that doesn't have the license, but it's also damaging because, you know, you wouldn't see that if someone said, okay, Hey, I've got all the Google licensing, you know, Hey, here, here's Google logos. And so go out of Google on our, like, it doesn't work if you change the narrative for a different company. Um, and so I, I have, again, I have a strong opinion about that, but I think that's kind of, some of that has kind of gone to the wayside, but that is an interesting thing. I'm sure you've seen, Neil, it's just, it's out there. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. I have seen that. Yeah. <laughs> so Neil, if you were a distributor that has never sold into a college at all before, where, what advice could you give somebody that wants to sell into the college marketplace? Where would you start? Well, I, I guess I'd have to start with licensing. You know what I mean? Like find yeah. out, you know, get the client first, you know, make them feel comfortable with you. Tell them you're going to help them. Because if I can be completely honest, like the end user is not that knowledgeable about the ropes that they have to go through to actually get their merchandise and apparel. Um, So talk, you know, make your establish your game plan with the customer and say that you're going to reach out to the licensing department and go go on their behalf um, and then go from there because without approved art from them, you're dead in the water. Yeah. And I also feel like a lot a mistake that a lot of people make is they go straight to the purchasing department and they, they think that that's like where all the decisions are made. And uh, as you know, I'm sure that's, you know, if, you, if you're trying to get in at that level, you're way, way past that point. Yeah. Don't worry about the PO. The PO will come. Just get your, uh, get your garment and your logo approved first and make that trust establish that trust with your customer that you're going to handle it and you're going to take care of them and lead them through this very complicated process that i've been through a million times yeah meg steven any other questions or follow-up no i was going to ask him that question that you just did so neil thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast today you welcome about selling to the collegiate market we really appreciate all of that thank you yeah thank you so much for having me guys it was a real honor Oh. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing a little bit of knowledge with us. Stephen, anything else? No, I mean, it's a, it's a wild, it's a wild industry to sell into lots of great opportunities and great business, but a lot of steps between starting and finishing. So yeah, yeah I think it was very good. It was, it was awesome to, to hear the other perspective from different markets and different areas. That's great. It's a different beast. There's a lot of pros and there's a lot of cons for sure. It's not the easiest market to sell into, but once you're in and you're embedded, it's it's pretty good. And like I said, it's cyclical. So, so it's Barnes uh, and Nobles comes and it's takes super all the <laughs> Barnes and Nobles only going after the bookstores, though, man. People got to get away from the bookstores. Start selling into the departments. Are they selling? Oh, not really. Books? It's no. Nope, they're going after more. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I feel. I feel like. I feel like me and Steven need to uh, have wow. a beer. Yes. <laughs> Gladly. <laughs> That's yeah, I'm actually really shocked to hear that the Barnes Noble. Yeah, they're also more. telling some part of their contractual stuff is funneling funds that are given to the different departments to have to go through the bookstore now. 
which yeah. will then take it away from them being able to go out and use licensed vendors here. They have to go through this through Barnes. Yeah, it's 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 fun, isn't it, Neil? <laughs> yeah, I've honestly never understood why why the colleges would would go to Barnes and Noble to begin with, but the fact that they're going even beyond <laughs> the bookstore now is uh, wow. Well, you it's know. Barnes and Noble probably, you know, everyone was looking for a different avenue to make money, you know, since COVID that how many people were actually going into the bookstore? How many Barnes and Nobles do you actually have in your area? Any brick and mortar Barnes and Nobles? I don't, I think there's one in my entire, and I'm surprised it's even there, to be honest with you. So they yeah. probably had to find another outlet and there, hey, there it was. Well, not, not to stretch this out, but a lot of bookstores have basically like a third of their inventory is like uh, product and, you know, merch stuff then technology and then books. Well, the book market got destroyed because a lot of stuff went digital. The tech market got destroyed because everyone can buy it online and it was way too expensive. And bookstores were only getting like very small returns, like $5 gift cards for a computer from Apple, like crazy, like low margin stuff. So the only successful part of a lot of the bookstores was the product. Um, like a lot of their giant revenue streams were from the apparel and the product sales in those industries. But Barnes and Nobles could serve, solve two thirds of that issue, which is the book side of it, which is probably the largest part of the bookstore, you know, um, and some of the technology stuff. So all they needed to do is figure out that third component, whereas we as product salespeople don't know anything about the other two sides. Um, so that's from what I have heard and what I've seen in transitions was the deal like the financial pros and cons of the two they solved the, the inventory issue the books issue and the tech issue and so a lot of schools just decide to go that route so yeah i'll add one more thing to that that um some of the people that have been pushed to barnes and noble have come back to me because barnes and noble wants to take these individual accounts and cookie cutter them yeah, they're like sure. this is this is the hoodie you get this is the the full zip fleece you get and we're going to give you all these products on a web page and you can order them but we're not going to give you anything extra we're not going to give you anything specialized to your specific major or profession mm -hmm. um they're just not willing to bend in that regard so let them keep not bending it's pushing people back towards yeah. me where i'm going to let you have a carhartt t-shirt i'm going to let you have these different things that's that's more specialized to your group or your department that they're not going to do. And it is yeah. interesting. There's even gray area with that. Like they don't tell Nike they can't sell into the school. You know, if you're a Nike school, right? They're not telling Adidas that you can't sell in, that you have to buy the Barnes and Nobles. So why is it that everyone else has to say, you know, has to stay away, right? So yeah. it's like, it, it, I don't know, there's a lot there. It's complicated. Just prepare yourself if you enter into it. But there's lots of stuff that is still out there. So, yeah, awesome. Fair enough. Well, look, this episode was again brought to you by our good friends over at ASI, and we're talking about the ASI Chicago show uh, taking place July 25th through the 27th at McCormick Place North Building. Don't miss your chance to spark conversations, discover new products, and build your business, and have fun at the large or at the last large scale trade show of the year. Highlights include a keynote on how to close more sales by improving your pitch, a panel of industry executives sharing how to navigate the current promo marketplace, an exhibit hall filled with innovative product ideas, education sessions to help you grow your business, and opportunities to network, win prizes, and much more. Register now at ASIshow.com uh, and use promo code PC. And uh, yeah, 
really excited. Neil, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, sharing some of that expertise, man. Really appreciate it. Uh, it was a good one. Yeah. All right. Thank thanks, you, guys. Absolutely. All right, guys. Until next time, we'll see you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Promo Corner's Industry Insider. For more great content from industry thought leaders, including podcasts, blogs, and videos, visit promocorner.com.